Welcome to the sixth episode of Blue Jays Happy Hour. I'm Nick Ashbourne. I'm joined as always by Andrew Stoughton, and we are officially one third of the way through the MLB season for the Toronto Blue Jays at least. So Stoughton, we're one third of the way through. Who are the 2021 Toronto Blue Jays? I think they're a pretty good team. You know, I, I, they're a team that has not had George Springer and has faced some adversity in terms of injuries. Uh, and a really tough schedule, and have got through it and given themselves a really good platform for the next uh, two-thirds of the season. Yeah, I think the summary of pretty good team is probably apt. Often when you have a team who's four games above 500, that's not necessarily a team that you think has great aspirations. They could be kind of middling, and I don't think the Blue Jays are that. They're, they've missed Springers, you've mentioned. There are some reinforcements on the way, whether it's him coming back, Biggio coming back, if Manoa is able to be better than he was in a second start and be a part of the rotation, even Nate Pearson potentially, whatever they do at the deadline, and a weak schedule. So when you look at that record, you might say, oh, the Blue Jays are a team and they're fourth in the division or whatever. But I think we should be conceptualizing them in a more positive light than that. And I say that as someone who is not noted for their positivity. No, absolutely. I, I completely agree. And and. I have I have previously in the past not noted you for your positivity. <laughs> and you probably will in the future. Uh, <laughs> but we could talk about me all day. I'd like to talk about our guest today, uh, who is Ben Nicholson-Smith from Sportsnet. He's someone who I've known for a long time. He's been a voice of reason um, on the Blue Jays beat and someone who consistently puts out great work. And whether it's on his podcast at the letters or just over at sportsnet.ca we've got a nice long conversation with him i'd love to get right to it I'm very excited to welcome the second guest in the history of Blue Jays Happy Hour. We have uh, Ben Nicholson-Smith of Sportsnet, the Skip Bayless of the Blue Jays world, you might say, known for firing off extreme hot takes, getting into conflict, just stirring <laughs> the pot. Do you think that's a fair characterization, Ben? Well, it's what I strive for. I mean, I'm not sure if I'm quite reaching those levels, but you definitely described my goal in the sports <laughs> media environment. There's no question about that, Nick. It's important to have a North Star and, uh, you know, you're a relatively young guy. You're early in your career, relatively speaking. So I think that you'll get there even if, you know, don't feel discouraged if you're not there today is what I'm saying. Well, thanks. Yeah. And, and definitely looking forward to joining you in Stoughton and talking some Jays. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see if I can maybe nudge that goal along a little bit today. I wanted you to feel at home uh, when you came to visit us at our podcast, which is, you know, a cozy environment. And I know that over at, at the Letters, your podcast, there you go, free plug there, uh, as if you, you need it. Um, you guys like to do a lot of over-unders, and I know yes. that just individually in our text conversations, it's just something gets thrown around constantly. Also, just a way to get Stoughton involved, too. I want to rattle off a bunch of over-unders, get your sense of, we're at the one-third mark of the Blue Jays season, so it's kind of a nice time to take stock of what the next two-thirds is going to look like. I've got three categories of over-unders I want to play with you. One uh, is Vladdy, obvious Great. category. Uh, number two is players not currently on the active roster, which is wordy, but if I said injured, it wouldn't cover everybody. So, you know, I'd rather be precise and wordy than be wrong. Uh, and then I have a miscellaneous category. So I want to just jump right into it. Uh, I will explain some of the over-unders a little bit. I don't want to force you guys to do too many, too much kind of back-of-the-napkin math. I'll give you the reason why and a little context. So let's awesome. start with Vladdy. And, you know, the big number for Vladdy is is the home run number because he's been, I think he's tied for the league league now with uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. And I want to get the end of season home run. So the total I have for you, I'm setting the over under at 44. He's at 17 now, which would put him on pace for 51. And the reason I've chosen 44 is because 44 is the home run total that reflects Fangraph's most aggressive projection for him. So that's the bat X. Uh, and they say that he's going to reach 44 home runs by the end of the season. 
What do you guys think? Ben Stoughton over under? Wow. Um, that I, I love it. And even the fact that the over under is there reflects where Vladdy's at. Um, and the fact that that's a difficult question because 44 home runs is a lot of home runs, obviously. With that being said, and I hate doing this, but I'm taking the under because it would only take like one three week stretch where, you know, he strains his neck or hamstring and he's out for a couple weeks and just doesn't quite get there. So it's like, as you guys know, like the safe bet is so often the under and Vladdy is someone who deserves uh, to have a lot of overs taken on him. But for this one at 44, I'll go under. Yeah, I'm uh I'm not going to be a contrarian about every single one that you pick Ben, but I'm going on the I'm taking the over here. Nice. Uh <laughs> just because uh it's Vladdy and he's been awesome and I feel he's going to continue to be awesome even though I know it's not a safe bet. Uh you know, he's on pace for 51. That gives him a lot of wiggle room right there. That's the bet I wanted to make, Stoughton. <laughs> I, I, I almost want to change it, but, you know, I already, I already made my pick. So that's a, that's a very good choice by you. You're on the record now, and we may, well, maybe we'll loop back. We'll have you on the podcast and revisit them, or maybe we'll just talk shit about you behind your back uh, when you're not there at the end of the year. I don't know. We'll, we'll figure out how that works. I would take the under uh, like Ben. The injury thing is a good point. The other point I would add to that is that Vladdy has had this really impressive jump in home runs per fly balls, and it's really cool to see. And a lot of it has to do with his opposite field power coming through. But it's so big that I'm just not quite convinced it's going to hold up. He doesn't hit a ton of fly balls, and I know some of his liners go out. But for that reason, I'm going to go slightly under as well. The second number here is war, and we're going to go with an over-under of 6.9 which is just under double his current total. Um, That is a massive number in the context of his career. And overall, that's kind of, you know, MVP and really good all-star level production. Basically, the question is, is he going to be able to do what he's done so far again for the rest of the season in terms of value and get to the seven war level? So the over-under is at 6.9. Stoughton, you want to take this one to start? Sure, I'll take this one on, and I'll say over again, which is absurd, I feel, because that's a lot of, of war, and it, it is, uh, you know, just not something that he has done yet, and it's it, it's uh, it's amazing to uh, to think of Vlad as, as being a player worth that much, but you say it's double where he's at right now, um, but there's like... Two thirds of the season still left, so I'm I'm taking the over. I'm uh I am I, I I'm not a good gambler. Just to, just so everybody's clear, maybe you've all <laughs> figured this out already. But yeah, I'm not I'm not great at gambling, and uh, I'm going with my heart, and I'm saying Vlad's going to take the uh, get, get over that. Yeah, I I agree. I think he's getting over <laughs> this too. And you know maybe this is maybe this runs counter to my first prediction there, but I just think like so you know what's Vladdy's true talent? Like what's his at this point in time? what would we project him for over the course of a full season? And I just, like, I don't think he's a four-war player. I think he's better than that. I think he's closer to maybe a six-war player, true talent, the way he's playing baseball right now, the way he's swinging the bat and moving and playing defense. That, to me, looks like a six-win player. So you take, I don't know, like four over the course of the season, not even being a super aggressive projection, add that on to where he's at, and you're over seven. So I'll take the over here. Yeah, Ben, that's exactly the way I was going to conceptualize it. Because if he needs 3.5 more war to hit this total, that means to do that, he's got to be about a 5.2 true talent player for the rest of the season, which doesn't seem aggressive considering the strides he's made with his bat. Like you said, he's no longer a big liability on the basis. The defensive metrics probably aren't going to be amazing for him. The defensive value will probably still drag him down slightly. But I would take the over on this. Um, and I think that it's probably a little bit safer than the other one, to be honest. I might have pushed, I might have been able to push that line up a little bit more aggressively and uh, had you guys take the over still. Yeah. So the last one is uh, MVP voting. And the number here is 2.5. So if you're under, it means you think he finishes top two. And if you're over, it means you think he finishes three or higher. Wow. Um, 
So if I'm over, he's finishing three or higher. I mean, Otani slowed down a tiny bit with respect to his home runs. I still think Otani factors in. There's still time for other guys to jump into this picture. Um, even, I mean, Semyon belongs in that picture right now. You've got Garrett Cole potentially. Um, obviously, Trout's injured now, but he belongs in there every single year. It's also unpredictable, too, because even though MVP voting does correlate pretty closely to war, um, there can be some weird aberrations with that. So I'm actually going to take the under here. Or, or sorry, I think I'm going to take the over, meaning I, whichever one is, I don't predict he will be top two. Yeah, uh, I feel like I have to take that as well. And I'm I'm not sure if it's the over or the under as well either. But, it's yeah. a, to be fair, this question might not have been constructed in such a way that over under was the best format, and I will take responsibility <laughs> for that. But I wanted to stay consistent with the game, so right. apologies uh, for the confusion. But yeah, I, I think for all the reasons that Ben said, uh, that there's just a, a ton of a ton of guys. I mean, Cole obviously without that uh, grippy stuff on his fingers is, is going to drop off. We, I think we can all agree. But uh, but everyone else is a bit of a threat, and and uh, yeah, it's a it's a long season, and and yeah, Marcus Semyon I think would be uh, a wonderful candidate as well. Okay, well, I'm going to slam the under here. I mean, I Woo! I uh, wrote about Vlad as an MVP frontrunner a couple of weeks ago, and I mentioned on the podcast. I felt maybe a bit sheepish that it was a little bit early to do that. And I feel good about it now. And right now, if we look at American League position players, Vladdy is 0.9 war ahead of the next best non-Blue Jay, which is Yon Moncada. So that's a decent lead for one. Mm -hmm. And I know that Ben mentioned that it doesn't necessarily correlate perfectly to war, but I think the ways in which it doesn't actually benefit Vladdy, one is that he'll have big offensive numbers so for voters who are less analytically savvy that is going to stand out as opposed to um, guys who are more dependent on defensive metrics and base running for their war and then the second thing is I think there's a pretty good potential for Vladdy to be that narrative guy like the Blue Jays are right on the edge of making the playoffs or not and if the Blue Jays do make the playoffs you can tell the story that this is the guy who exploded and really drove his team to the playoffs, often in the absence of George Springer, who was their big uh, offseason pickup. So for those reasons, I say Vladdy, top two MVP finisher. Those are good points. Yeah, like I could even, it's, it is a narrative that could play in his favor. Um, and I, I still stick with, you know, betting against that top two finish just because, you know, you look at, you look at maybe like a Carlos Correa or a Jose Ramirez, like could one of those guys just have an outrageous finish to the season and and kind of pass Vladdy? But I think Vladdy's the front runner now. And I think he deserves to be the front runner now because he's been the best player in the league. Oh. Yeah, I mean now that now that Mike Trout is hurt, yeah. I would say. Yeah, yeah <laughs> Trout being hurt is the only reason any yep. of this conversation yeah. is worth having. Um, okay, so we're gonna move on to guys who are not on the active roster. And George Springer is, is the first guy who pops to mind. And mm-hmm. so I've got an over-under on games for George Springer. And that over-under is 78.5. There are 108 games remaining in the season. Uh, keep that in mind. Wow. So basically, yeah, 79 out of those remaining 108 I'll I'll jump in on this one. I'll take the under, and I you know I don't delight in doing that because George Springer is a really fun baseball player, and he's going to make the Blue Jays even more fun to watch. But it's just at this point, knowing so little about his timeline, and having seen him attempt to come back and then struggle to come back, knowing that he's not a guy who necessarily logs 162 at the best of times. I hate to do it, but I I am taking the under here. Yeah, I'm going to take the under as well. I mean, it's just he's a guy who does not play a ton of games every year. I mean, he plays a lot of games, but just definitely not a 162 kind of guy. Um, and so, yeah, I think he just you wipe out the first couple months of, the, of his season, sure. Uh, but I don't think that means, oh, he's got, he, he's got all those games he's going to miss out of him. I think he's still going to probably play the same percentage of games, you know, from whenever he comes back which we don't know if it's going to be two weeks, but we don't know if it's going to be a month to the end of the season. Like I think he, you still have to start shaving games off from when the day he comes back to the end of the year. 
Uh, and I think that's going to make it really hard for him to hit the over on that. So I'll take the under as well. I think gun, gun to my head, I would probably agree with you guys. The counterpoints that I would present are A, um, they're being extremely cautious with him this time around. That that seems clear. They really are not rushing him back. So the likelihood of him reactivating an injury, in my opinion, is diminished slightly. And the second thing is that because Rowdy Telez has not had an impressive season, the idea of putting him at DH consistently as a way to get him days off seems more palatable than it might have coming into the season. But at the end of the day, I probably would take the under on that one as well. The next one is uh, Julian Merriweather. This is just the ultimate crapshoot. Julian Merriweather innings, and I put the over-under at 7.5. Wow. wow. <laughs> that is low. <laughs> yeah. It's enough time uh, for him to get injured again. That's why I put it in there. Because if it's, I just I put will... three, then he could do it. <laughs> I I will take the over on that. I, I think, you know, I, I, I don't have any, like, good logical reason to do it. Like, I think, obviously, like everybody else, it's, it is it is way up in the air what you're ever going to get out of him, obviously. Um, it could be... <laughs> we know nothing about what's going on right now. We've seen over, you know, the years that he's been in the Blue Jays system that it, it, staying on the field has just been a, a ridiculous struggle for him. Um, but seven's not a lot. And uh, I think it's got to be eight, though. Used a bunch. It's got to well, be eight. Uh, that's you know 7.5. Eight, <laughs> eight's, eight's not a lot either. So I'm going to go with the over. So, Nick, is um, are we counting playoff innings here? Regular season innings. <laughs> Regular season innings. Okay. Oh, man. I'm still going to go over here. Um, I wouldn't go over by a lot. And, I mean, if we were setting his career innings total at 100, I think, I think we know what, what side of the <laughs> yes. bat you have to take on that one. But 7.5 innings, like, that's not that much. And, I, like, I don't know. It's it's an oblique. You know, it's that could linger for months for sure. Obviously, it is lingering for months. But it's not necessarily... I mean, it could be season-ending, but it's not like a foregone conclusion that a guy pulls an oblique and he's out for the year. Like, the most common time frame for that seems to be six weeks, eight weeks, something like that. So even building in a longer-than-usual recovery period, even building in a setback and another aggravation or injury, like, I still think there are lots of pathways for him to get to eight innings. <laughs> eight innings. Like, there's, lots of path- there's always <laughs> lots of pathways to get to eight innings. Yeah, so I'm going over I'm taking the under. I, wow. yeah, I I baked in enough time for him to re-injure it when he came back. And to be honest, I do not, I don't want to make light of it in the sense that Julian Merriweather Merriweather has been very unfortunate, and he does not deserve all the misfortune that comes his way vis-a-vis injuries. And his career is going to be a big what if in a lot of different ways for the Blue Jays, for the Indians, and just overall. Yeah. But it's gotten to a point where. There's just no way to trust that he can get on the mound. And if he gets on the mound, that he can stay on the mound for any amount of time. Like I know early in the season, there was excitement when he looked so good in that closer role. And I literally never let myself get there. Like I never let myself feel really anything about that because in my mind, it's just a a bit of a write-off at this point. And again, that's unfortunate for the team and for the player, but we've seen so many lost years that it's hard to, predict anything but another one he was so good he was really good i mean the, I, i'm trying I'm, I'm trying to think of like what he did in the spring was he at least healthy <laughs> i don't think he was no he wasn't no, he, no, i think he, he barely pitched because it was a surprise <laughs> yeah. like it was he was one of those last guys to make yeah. the opening day roster it was like he was he was almost a surprise when he made it if i recall because he had pitched like two times and they were trying to stretch him out at one point and i'm just like come on guys it's yeah. not he, he's he's not pitching seven innings in a season, let alone a game. Uh, yeah, that's right. I think at the start of the spring, it was it was like, yeah, maybe he's a guy we'll stretch out, and then immediately he was uh, backed off. All right, final category: miscellaneous. We're gonna go Robbie Ray's walks per nine. So the over under line I've set is three thirty three. Right now he's at two thirty three. And his career is 416. So I'm not asking you to do too much back of the napkin math, but 
the idea is that basically if he was sort of four-ish or higher, if he's anything near his career one, he will end up getting above this because, you know, there's two-thirds of the season left as opposed to one-third. It's sort of a um, referendum on how much do you believe that the Robbie Ray throwing strikes thing is going to hold up. Interesting. Um, so I am. So we're saying his season-ending walk rate, 3.33. That's the over-under? Yeah. yeah. Okay, so with that being the over-under, I am going to take the under here because... A, he has shown better command. He's shown, or at least better control, throwing pitches within the strike zone. That's a step forward. Now, I don't think we can necessarily guarantee that that's going to continue. But the other thing with this is pitchers get hurt. So he's already got whatever it is, 57, 58 innings of this good walk rate. So even if he goes back up to his career rate and he's walking four plus per nine, from here on, there's not a guarantee that he pitches a ton more innings. So I think the walk rate itself will probably end under 3.33 per nine. Uh, those are very compelling reasons, and I am going to agree with Ben, on, <laughs> and I'm also going to take the, the under there. Yeah, absolutely. I'm actually, I'm probably more skeptical that it'll keep going the way it's going than you are, but I think Ben makes an excellent point about innings, and like, he could get hurt. I think, you know, as, as well as he's pitching right now with guys coming back and potential ads at the deadline, I also think there's a, a scenario where he doesn't end up starting by the end of the year. And I know that that seems a bit far-fetched now, but he the way he's pitching, he's kind of over-pitching his peripherals right now. He's getting He's giving up a ton of hard contact. He's never been a guy who pitches to the order three times very well in the past. I could see a scenario where he ends up being more of a bulk guy by end of the season playoffs, depending on the moves they make as well. So that's just another avenue for him to avoid innings, and avoiding innings uh, is the way to avoid that walk rate going up. So I agree with you guys there. You got him in the bullpen by the end of the year. That is that is wild. I, I'm saying it's an avenue, <laughs> not that it's going to happen. But okay. I, my belief is that Robbie Ray is kind of vastly overrated at this particular moment. <laughs> be that as it may, I feel that they would need to add a few like pretty good starters to have to like end up in that scenario. Uh, it's Nate, maybe, Nate Pearson maybe higher and a on Alec Manoa than I am. Okay, uh, <laughs> okay. Well, the net you good point. The next guy is Alec Manoa. So there you go. Alec Manoa ERA, and I'm setting the over under at four point zero nine. So that is slightly lower than projections. I figured that both of you got the projections are around 420. And I figured you guys would probably be slightly higher on Manoa than projections, but I didn't want to go under four because uh, I felt like that was kind of a natural tipping point. So the over under is 4.09. Wow. I will, uh, I feel bad about it. I'm going to take the over on this just because it's a young pitcher and just because. Uh, with Alec Manoa as anyone else, I'm I'm swayed by the most recent thing that I've seen. So so now I'm concerned about. I'm it. glad you're transparent uh, about the recency <laughs> bias, at least. Yeah. So I just I looked this up just as we were talking there. So the league ERA at this point is 406, which is pretty low. Um, so that's your standard issue ERA. I've got to think that Alec Manoa can be a better than league average pitcher when it comes to just the, the pure stuff that he has, I think is is good. We've seen kind of proof of concept with that outing against the Yankees that he is someone who can shut down good hitters and good lineups. I mean, say what you will about the Yankees, and they're obviously not your, your um, golden era Yankees lineup, but they're still a, a big league team, and he, he did really well against them. So I'll take the under here, just thinking that he can be a better than average pitcher in the majors. I am going to agree with Ben. I think that <clears throat> Manoa has the stuff to be really good. The velocity discrepancy between his two starts was a bit weird, but he was also pitching in two different minor league ballparks, which could come into play in terms of that, you know, being accurate or not. Even if he's not throwing incredibly hard, the slider is really impressive. The changeup has its moments. I, I wouldn't say that he goes under this by a wide margin. I wouldn't expect him to be uh, a dominant pitcher, but I do think he can be a kind of a number four type pitcher, and that's sort of what this ERA would be. Yeah, so, and that would help the Jays a ton. Over under number three for miscellaneous, Marcus Semyon's war of six. 
So the projections, the reason I picked this is because the projections I found on fan graphs had him between 5.7 and 6.3. So I just put it square in the middle. He's already well on his way to that. But I also uh, think it's worth noting that there are some things he's been quite lucky with in terms of his sort of expected stats against real stats. And he's been extremely hot in May. So this current pace might be a little bit much to expect. Yeah, six war. I mean, that's that's a lot. That's like that's you're in the MVP conversation at that point. And and Semyon is now. I just I gotta take the under here. Like I think he's a good player. I think he's closer to the 2019 version than the 2020 version. I think that the Jays should be thrilled that they have four more months of Semyon who can you know whether it's defensively and and what he brings at second or short whether it's offensively and the kind of pull power that he's showing that's a great combination i just still don't think it leads to six war now i mean that's three more war on top of what he's already done in the course of four months i mean that's a pretty big ask so i'd go under yeah i i tend to agree i don't want to agree but i i feel that you know his 2019 was obviously great, but I think it was, you know, it, it was an outlier. This May has sort of, there, there's there's not that much of Marcus Semyon that has been sort of that level elite. And I think that, you know, even his 2019 was, uh, was, was up and down. I think he finished really strong and, and maybe didn't start as well there either. Um, so yeah, I, it, it, it feels like this makes a lot of sense, but I think, and also Nick, you point out that there's been some luck involved, and and and, and yeah, I, I just I can't quite go there. Uh, he's not he's not our large adult son Vlad, uh, who I think is 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 gonna, you know, just run roughshod over the league. So I'm taking the over on that one, or sort of the under on that one as well. The counterpoints for that I think are twofold. One is the defense at second has been really outstanding, and. He's got a chance to really run up the defensive metrics at second in a way that maybe he wouldn't at short. The other thing is that he's stealing a ton of bases now, so he's got another way to pad his war. However, the the luck thing, if you want to call it that, is a little bit too much for me. You know, his expected uh, woba right now is three thirty one, and his real one is three ninety three. And that's a huge disparity. His strikeout rate is higher than it's been since. 2014 when he was with the White Sox and he was really struggling. He seems to be selling out for power and he's getting it now. I'm just not 100% sure those results will keep going. He'd have to be sort of a five-win player to make this projection work. And right now, maybe I see him as more of a 3.5 or four-win player. He, uh, you know, he's still really good and the Blue Jays should be very happy they have him. And you know, I, I could see him hitting these projections. Like it's not I, like I put a pie in the sky number out there, but ultimately, um, at the end of the day, it's an it's an under for me. So before we lose Ben here, we're gonna do the hot take I most believe is true. Great. I feel like I picked this at the wrong time because the Blue Jays have a little bit of good feeling going on with them. Normally, their hot takes are in the universe when the Blue Jays are in a bit of a hole. So I had to fabricate some of them myself, and you—I think the best ones. Everything, <laughs> everything here has a hint of validity, but you'll have to decide which has the most. So, question one: I'm going to give you three options. Tell me which is the most valid. A. Bo Bichette is not a long-term shortstop. B. We will see Gabriel Moreno in 2021. Or C, Charlie Montoya limits this team's potential. Interesting. So what do you mean by long-term? Do you want to be any more specific there? Or in the spirit of a hot take, is that left open to interpretation? Yeah, you can you can interpret that the way you want. I don't think it's fair for you to say, oh, I think when he's 34, he'll move to second base. Right. Like for in the context of the time, the Blue Jays are sure to have him. We'll put it that way. Interesting. Oh, man. Um, you know, I'm going to go with Moreno. I, I could see it happening. Um, and I think the example of Kirk last year gives us a little bit of precedent when it comes to a young catcher who's ascending through the system quickly. Um, obviously, Kirk himself could and should return at some point this season to help restore some sort of offense to a position that's obviously seen so little of it so far this year. But 
I, I still think, you know, if Moreno, I think he's hitting like 390 right now. And if that continues, or if he continues to at least make great contact and show progress, I think there are pathways there. Um, so I, I'm more inclined to see that possibility in 2021 as opposed to, you know, Bo, I think he's a shortstop. I think that's that's legitimate. And then the Charlie one, that's probably a whole other podcast that we could get back and forth into. <laughs> um, and and look, I mean, like the Chatwood thing, for example, that's a mistake that he obviously should have had someone behind Chatwood. That's that's clear. Um, and he's made other mistakes. And that's part of doing any job. It's part of being a major league manager. I don't know that I'm at the point where I say, like, he is he is the reason that this team is not reaching its potential. Like it's on the manager, um, you, you know, Again, I'll stop myself because we could go down a whole rabbit hole there, but my answer would be Moreno for now. Uh, for me, um, I think it's I think it's Bo as the shortstop. I think uh, you know he's been good. He's been better, obviously, since the the woes earlier in the season. Uh, he's looked fine there, uh, but everybody's a shortstop now. Every prospect is a shortstop. Uh, the Jays have at least one who looks pretty good behind him. And at, at some point, I think that, you know, even if you're happy with Bo, you know, for one, they're going to look at the free agent market this winter. Uh, and for two, they've got Austin Martin coming up and they've got other guys coming up. And I think that there's uh, there's just going to be a point where even if you like Bo as a shortstop, somebody's going to come along and be a better option. Though I would, clearly Marcus Semyon, I think, is. Uh, and, they, and they didn't go there with it. Um, but I, I don't know if that's going to last forever. So I, I like Bo as a shortstop. I'd be very happy to be wrong about this, but uh, that's the one I'm going to go with. I'm excited about this outcome because I'm going to go with number three, Charlie no. Montoya. <laughs> and I, like, like Ben said, this is a whole rabbit hole. I don't want to go too deep into it in, in this conversation. All I'll say is that the wording of that statement allows me to do it because it limits the team's potential. I don't think he's the cause of all the ills with the team. I don't think that this team can't succeed with him at the helm. I think he does a lot of good things that we can't necessarily see. But I, it's also possible that you can have a manager who does all of the soft, uh, you know, human management side and also does the tactical side well. I think that's reasonable to say. And so in a division with tight margins to see games slip away a couple times due to tactical errors, I think it does hold the team back to some extent, not necessarily to an enormous extent. Right. And I mean, you look at like there are managers who tactically I look at and I'm like, man, like you, you add to your team. Like Kevin Cash is one. I know he takes a lot of flack, obviously, for the Blake Snell decision and for everything the Rays do. But I think like Kevin Cash is is not someone that I would be eager to play a poker game against or a board game against. Like I think tactically, this is a guy who has a lot of things figured out. And you could say the same about AJ Hinch or Alex Cora or Aaron Boone. I mean, I think there are managers in this game who really excel in that. I haven't seen from Charlie reasons to believe that he's someone who belongs in that elite tier tactically. Um, but yeah, like you said, there are other things that a manager brings as far as an overall leadership or overall tone to the team that are important, especially for a team that's young, for a team that's learning and on the road and displaced. Um, but I, I see your points there, Nick, for sure. Okay, this next uh, hot take trio are all totally fabricated by me. None of these takes are out there in, in the Blue Jays ecosystem. And I, I don't think that you've heard them before. So the first one, A, Reese McGuire is a better player than Danny Jansen. That is based on the fact he's hit better at the major league level than Jansen. He's got a better arm than Jansen. He's always had a good uh, defensive reputation. And also, um, he's kind of looked more competent lately in, in uh, the amount of playing time he's gotten. B, Randall Grichuk's contract will end up being a steal. This is something that nobody said at the time of the extension. Although some people, I think, you know, at the time, I didn't think it was terrible. I understood that the team needed to sort of fill out some positions in the future. There was so much uncertainty and he didn't seem like the worst guy to bet on. But initially that looked like a bad contract. Now it looks like it could be pretty solid. And then the third one is Lourdes Gurriel Jr. is not a long-term starter for the Blue Jays. Wow. Very interesting. Um, Stoughton, you want to dive in first on this one? 
Sure. <laughs> these are uh, these are tough. Yeah, these are tough. Um, I think I'll take Guriel is not a long-term starter. I mean, yeah, he's streaky with the bat, and, and that maybe that just maybe who he is. Like it kind of I feel like we we look at him and we think, okay, you know, his best if he could just be his best self for a long time, that would be amazing. But maybe that's not who he is, and maybe he's somebody who's just going to have those ups and downs. And then defensively, you know, I don't think he's long for the outfield. Like, he's not my favorite outfielder. <laughs> he is, uh, uh, you know, he's a guy who's getting replaced defensively. Like, when Jonathan Davis comes into the game, Teoscar moves over to left, right? Like, that's that says a lot about what the Blue Jays think about uh, Guriel's defense. And I think anybody who's sort of watched his roots... Uh, uh, can concur like i mean he's okay the arm is is real fun at times but it, i don't think it's enough and yeah i think he's the guy who is whose spot in that outfield right now like not gritchick has done such a solid job this year like i think he his uh guriel is, is has a more precarious spot and uh that's okay for this year but you know the farther along you go the more i think that's going to be challenged yeah i think those are some good points like watching guriel play defense I'm so underwhelmed. Like he is, he is not a good. <laughs> what player. a kind way to put it. <laughs> he is really not. And like he's got, yeah, the arm flashes at times, but what a below average outfielder he is on the whole. And yeah, like you said, Stoughton. I mean, we see from the Blue Jays how they assess him because they take him out when the game counts defensively. So it's clear that they don't assess him as a good outfielder. Now the way Nick phrased it, it, it didn't have to do with outfield. And so as long as DH exists. You know, I kind of, I and the, I still believe he's a good hitter, a good bat-to-ball hitter. So I think that I can still see him uh, starting and, and being uh, a starting player for this team. But it's also interesting, you know, speaking of these little tells that the Blue Jays give us here, where, of course, they don't spell it out completely for us, but with their actions and decisions, we can get a read on what they think. And the fact that Reese McGuire played twice in a row against the Marlins, normally you're going to alternate your two catchers in a back-to-back, especially with off days on either side, keep them fresh. And so the fact that they played McGuire over Jansen suggests that the Blue Jays at this point in time believe McGuire is the better option of the two. Now, I I think it'll be a relatively even split going forward. It's not like we're going to see McGuire starting 80% of the games or anything, but I found that tell to be interesting. And I haven't seen a ton of reasons from Jansen to necessarily say that he belongs you know at the top of the catching depth chart he's a major league player don't get me wrong but i i don't know like that's i kind of land on that first one with the catchers well i didn't think that one would get much support uh i think that reese mcguire's offensive production the big league level in the first couple times he came up were sort of pure mirage uh based on his minor league track record so i'm not inclined to believe in that but like you said the blue jays doing that with the playing time is an indication that that's at least a discussion that's happening. Yeah. I might be the biggest Randall Grichik believer in the group. However, I think <laughs> the third one that Stoughton went with the Guriel one is what I want to say as well. You can't be a, a bad defense, like a really bad defensive left fielder. The bar for your bat is so high and he can barely clear that at his best. And I know that he has had some decent seasons. It seems like they sort of missed the bus to put him where he needed to be, which in my opinion is third base, or the to utilize, utilize his arm. Mm-hmm. And so Vladdy came up and they wanted to try him at third base while Guriel was looking for a position. And now it's almost too late and they did the Travis Shaw thing. His arm would have fit there. He's not a bad athlete. And he was able to throw across the diamond from the left side in the past. It seems a shame to me that that never got a long look, and maybe it will, but it seems unlikely now. So he he looks like the odd man out to me because the way his profile works where he doesn't walk at all and he strikes out, he needs to hit for a lot of power to make it all work, and he's got good power but not amazing power. So when the Blue Jays you know, improve as they get better and more of these prospects come up, he's a guy I could see getting squeezed. That's a good point. Yeah, like, I mean, certainly when Springer comes back, I think your three outfielders, are your top three on that depth chart have to be Teoscar, Springer, and Grichuk. I mean, I don't think you're going to necessarily look for excuses to get Guriel in over Grichuk on the days the DH spot is spoken for. All right, 
Ben, before you go, the last one. This is a, a bit of a mixed bag, to be honest, as I look at it now. I wrote it yesterday. I should remember it, but I, I'm looking at it with almost <laughs> unfamiliar eyes here. So here are the three statements. A, Anthony Castro is the second best reliever in the Blue Jays bullpen, uh, presumably behind Jordan Romano. But if someone wants to take a swing and say he's better, I'm not against it. Uh, B, Nate Pearson will contribute less than 0.5 war to the MLB team in 2021. And C, the Blue Jays will make a serious run at Max Scherzer at the trade deadline. Wow. Um, okay, I forget whose turn it is to go first, but I'll jump in here and I'll say Scherzer. Like I think if, so the Nationals I think are 23 and 30 and that's not a team that I would think is going to necessarily play so well that they put themselves into contention in a tough division. So I do think Scherzer will be on the market and at least the Nationals are not going to, you know, hang up the phone, so to speak, when, when teams come calling. And the Blue Jays will be looking for starting pitching and they owe it to themselves to start their search at the top of the pitching market and to ex at least explore that before you move on to you know, a guy who I think would really help them, you say Kikuchi or Kyle Gibson, or, you know, you go further down the list. Well, yeah, if they phone the Twins, for example, at 359, they can get J-Hap, but you start the search with the top arms. And that obviously includes Scherzer. And I don't think that you go in there and, you know, you, you make a halfway effort. Like, I think you actually try and see and, and make what's a serious push. So I, I see that as a legit possibility for this team. Yeah, I had been not taken that one. Not that it's not still open to me. Uh, I, I may have taken that, but I will instead, just for the sake of talking about something else, uh, go with Nate Pearson because I don't know. You know, I, I think Nate Pearson is still has all the potential in the world. Obviously, there's lots to like about him. Uh, a hugely highly rated prospect, something the Jays haven't had for years. Uh, but <laughs> the injury thing... Uh, I don't know if it's always going to be there, but it's not going away anytime soon. Uh, I don't think he looked great when he went back down to AAA. He obviously looked terrible in uh, in Buffalo. I think that, you know, worst case, he probably does come up and help the bullpen. That's probably the worst case. Um, obviously, there, there are going to be rotation spots that he could come up and take if he ever looks right. But I am pretty comfortable betting, <laughs> betting against him. Being healthy and looking right, which sucks, but uh, but I, I'm I'm gonna take that one. I'm so tempted to go with Anthony Castro. Uh, <laughs> Dolis, come on! Uh, I mean, just don't, the way Dolis <laughs> walks batters, and um, you know he's so inefficient with the way he pitches, which is sometimes fine for a reliever, but in big moments he can be a big problem. Anthony Castro, small sample, obviously, but 174 ERA, 255 FIP, 298 uh, expected ERA, and he's got this ridiculous slider that I don't think is going away. And all the other Blue Jays relievers, other than Romano, have kind of big blemishes, and I don't really see the blemish with him quite so much. However, uh, I will jump on the Pearson train. You know, he's got to stay in the minors and build himself up and be quite effective at AAA before the Blue Jays consider him. There's also the possibility that Manoa locks in his spot and then they go get someone at the deadline. Ross Stripling's improvement bears monitoring. I don't know if it's totally believable yet at this point. There are a lot of scenarios where Pearson doesn't really make an impact on this team. You know, although coming into the season, the idea that he wouldn't have even that modest contribution to make is, uh, is pretty ridiculous. Crazy. Yeah, but it is believable. It is believable. All right, Ben, we appreciate you joining us and at least agreeing with some hot takes, even if you're not providing your own. If you want to drop a bomb on the way out, uh, that option is available to you. But otherwise, um, you know, it was a blast to have you on and hopefully we'll see you again. A hundred percent. Thanks, Nick. And thanks, Stoughton, for having me on. Great talking baseball. Great, um, great topics. Um, I, I guess I'll drop like a, a lukewarm take. I don't even think this qualifies as a hot take. But along with the obvious need for pitching, I think the Jays need a bat. You know, whether it's to, to replace Guriel or supplement left field, someone who can play some third base, someone who can be a better pinch hit option than Davis, Espinal, Jansen off the bench might help this team. And so I think that they could <laughs> definitely stand to upgrade this offense as well. All right, we'll take it. Luke Warren.
Although I was hoping for a slightly spicier take from Ben out the door, it is worth mentioning that the Blue Jays bench is kind of appalling. Like, there really is not a guy they can call on that they can feel confident will give them a hit in any situation, even when they're getting the platoon advantage. And I know that will get better when, you know, Biggio returns, uh, you know, when Springer comes back. But I don't know, who are you getting? You're getting Telez, maybe. You're getting Joe Panic, maybe. A, a nice right-handed bat off the bench would probably do them a lot of good. Yeah, I think that's, I agree. I mean, I wish Rowdy was that guy. I mean, obviously he's not right-handed, but I, I wish he was a guy who you felt better about. I still think back to those few weeks last year where it looked like he'd figured something out and the strikeout rate was great and it, it's been better this year, but uh, that is not who he is, uh, at least not yet, and maybe not ever. Uh, so yeah, definitely that doesn't that doesn't help your bench, and it, it is pretty appalling, as you say. All right, before we get out of here... Let's do a brief uh, rundown on the Astros series to come. We we have seen the Astros already this season. They are not an easy opponent by any means. The thing that's most interesting about them to me is they've got this really high-octane offense. We're talking second in the league in runs just behind the Los Angeles Dodgers, but they don't hit a ton of home runs. They're kind of... Uh, you know, an old school team, for lack of a better term. They've got this really deep lineup of guys who all get on base and, you know, hit singles and doubles and just keep rallies going. And they're not relying on that big swing to get them the runs. Although they have plenty of players who are capable of putting it over the fence. That's not what they rely on, which makes them, I don't know. I don't want to say fun to watch because they're the Astros and everyone hates them and, you know, no one's going to be hoping they do well, but they are an interesting team that's kind of zigging where others are zagging. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, might have been nice to have Michael Brantley on this Blue Jays team, uh, but but who, who? how would that have possibly ever happened? Oh, yeah, I mean, that's a <laughs> it's. It seems unlikely to me that we're going to look back on that and think, wow, that really could have made all the difference for the Blue Jays just because the offense has been so good even without Springer. You know, one of the top offenses in the league, kind of five runs a night, capable of coming back from a variety of deficits. However, especially as we just mentioned the bench, having a little bit of depth, having another bat, having Michael Brantley would be nice. It'd also be nice if we could switch Guriel's. Uh, Yuli Guriel has been incredible <laughs> yes. this year out of nowhere. And, you know, he may be in his mid to late 30s and unable to move, but I, I don't think his left field would be that much worse than Lourdes. Jeez. I, I didn't really think about it that way. But, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, and, yeah, he is, a, he is a very, very good hitter. Um, always, I mean, and they say this on the broadcast every time they play the Astros, you know, oh, Yuli insists Lourdes is the better of the two, um, which we definitely haven't quite seen yet. I mean, Lourdes at his best. He's been pretty yeah. good. But yeah, Yuli's, uh, Yuli's just a real professional hitter, speaking as a thing that you might hear on the broadcast. Yeah, it's funny because I always sort of saw him as the weak link out of all those great Astros hitters. It's kind of like they can't get a guy better than this to be the first baseman in the middle of this lineup. And uh, this year he's just taken off. So, you know, it's never too late to have that mid to late 30s breakout, <laughs> which used to be super suspicious, but now we're cool with it. Sir, uh, he's certainly not in the Astros. Nothing to be suspicious of there. The other thing that, you know, bears watching this weekend is just taking a moment to appreciate Zach Granke. I mean, beyond the character of Zach Granke, which is a great character and Honestly, just Google Zach Greinke. Find as many features about him as you can possibly read. Like a long form <laughs> on Zach Greinke is always a good time. But this is a guy, you know, he throws 92.7 as the fastest pitch he's thrown this year. The slowest is 51.1. Like he'll legitimately drop an EFIS pitch in there. He, you know, all of the cliches that you hear sometimes on various broadcasts about pitchers versus throwers can get really tiring. But Zach Greinke is one of the guys who validates that view a little bit because the way he masterfully works the zone, pitches in sequences that fool hitters, and gets great results without having really good stuff is truly a treat to watch. Uh, I believe a free agent this winter. Yeah, he's, he's on that Legends <laughs> row of uh, starting free agents who are all going yeah, to all who are all who are all in their late 30s. But uh, But, I mean... 
you know, the Blue Jays have money. They're going to be going after somebody. They're going to be probably a, a few somebodies. And, you know, the rotation is by no means settled. So And I, the I, guys I, they have, are, a couple of them are free agents too. So, yeah. So they're going to be spending some money on the rotation again this year. And uh, you could do worse than Zach Greinke. I, I, I have a very, very difficult time like envisioning him in a Blue Jays uniform or seeing that ever happening. But, uh, you know, he probably, well, I don't, maybe pitchers won't be hitting next year anyway, but he'll probably want to go somewhere where he can hit. Um, but, uh, you know, you never know. Uh, I wouldn't have thought George Springer or Hyunjin Ryu would be Blue Jays either. So, not yeah, ruling it out. Zach Greinke doesn't also seem like that big sort of lifestyle branding guy who needs to be in whatever big American market either. You know, he's a mm-hmm. smart guy and a bit of a weirdo. So, <laughs> um, the idea of going to Canada to fly his trade might not be as daunting to him as it would be to other people. Mm-hmm. But that is, you know, that's just senseless speculation, which is part of what we do. But it's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a good note to end on. We appreciate you guys uh, listening in. I do have to report that we got our first four-star review on Apple Podcasts. The, the perfect game is over. But whoever it was who did that, you know, I appreciate your integrity. We appreciate all the listeners, <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll we'll be here next week. 